Hello and welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technical Director here at Bayside. This week, Pastor Dave and I discuss Daniel chapter 8, the ram, the goat, and the little horn. Thank you for joining in our conversation. All right, this week we are in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel 8 happens two years after the vision from chapter 7. This week we are presented again with visions of animals. This week a ram and a goat. Now I doubt many people listening have spent much time around such livestock, but we've been around enough of them long enough to at least have a caricature of each of these animals in our mind. Now when I think of a ram, I usually see it up on a mountaintop looking down on the other sheep, ready to headbutt any competition that gets too close. They look and act quite indignant. Goats, on the other hand, I I just think they're evil. Uh, They are mean and cutthroat and take whatever they want. They're conniving and deceptive. And they're annoying. We live uh, in Forked River and in the middle of the town. But our neighbors behind us have two goats in their yard uh, and chickens and whatnot. But two goats that you can hear crying all day long wanting to take whatever they're, they're fighting over and, and fighting for food. Now, when we think about how these caricatures represent the, the media Persian and Greece empires, I think that they're pretty good descriptors of how each of them acted and, and how they, uh, they looked on the outside. Yeah, no doubt that the uh, animals given in the visions are kind of caricatures of the national personalities of these two empires. Uh, so in Daniel's vision in chapter 8, he's first introduced to the the ram that is asserting itself and no one can stand against him. Uh, one horn, it has two horns, one horn higher than the other, which is very reminiscent of chapter 7. Uh, where this same empire is represented by the bear in that chapter, uh, the bear that was raised up higher on one side than the other. And that stands for the fact that the, the the empire was composed of two people groups, the Medes and the Persians. The Persians came up later. Uh, they were the more dominant of the two people groups, and so that's why the one horn is, is higher than the other. And then as Jan- Daniel's watching in his vision, this goat comes charging out of the west, uh, barely touching the ground. Uh, coming with tremendous speed with one conspicuous horn between his eyes. He's like an, a unicorn goat, sort of a hybrid animal of some kind. Um, but yeah, he's bossy, like you just described. And he comes charging against the, the ram and and breaks the two horns of the ram, which is symbolic of breaking the power of the Medo-Persian Empire. And this is identified later in the, in the chapter as uh, the Greek Empire. And the single horn, its first king or its greatest king in this case, that would be Alexander the Great, who uh, in a period of about 10 years uh, in the 320s BC, uh, conquered the whole known world, including the Persian Empire, and and came against the Persians with special vengeance, uh, trampling on the ram as depicted in the vision, um, taking, really taking vengeance against the uh, the ram uh, because of the way the, the Persians had treated the Greeks in, in previous conquests of their own. And so um, then the, the ram is dead, the, the, uh, 
The vision has the goat uh, standing strong and at the height of his power. The single big horn is broken off, which is very predictive of how Alexander would be destroyed, lose his power, die young, and then up in place of the single horn come four other horns to take his place, but none of them have the strength of the original horn, which again is predictive of the uh, the way the Greek Empire after Alexander would be divided up among its four generals, and uh, and then they would they would be the main power in the neighborhood for the next couple hundred years. So, you know, Daniel's having this vision in 550 BC. He sees the Persian Empire, uh, which basically ruled the roost from uh, 540 to about 320, 323 BC. And, um, and, and then he's depicting uh, what happens in the next 200 years after that. So he's got about a 400-year uh, prediction, a, pr- a predictive prophecy here that's looking ahead into the region for the next 400 years and uh, accurately describing the powers that are going to rule the region and the powers under whom uh, the Jews, especially those in Jerusalem, will be subject. And then you come to that, that end part of the vision where this tiny horn replaces one of the four horns on the goat so this is another ruler coming out of the Greek Empire, rising out of one of the four uh, parts of, of the Greek Empire. Uh, and, and it's described as kind of this boastful, blasphemous horn that, that wreaks special vengeance against the Jewish people in particular. He will not only dominate Jerusalem, but he will basically uh, cast aside the high priests. He will end sacrifices at the temple. He will try to abolish the Jewish religion. He'll forbid keeping the law, observing the Sabbath, keeping high holy days. He'll he'll, uh, famously attempt to make a a priest, a Jewish priest, eat pork. And failing that, he kills the priest. Uh, He sets himself up as God. He, He declares himself God incarnate. He puts an image of Zeus in the temple. And he, um, he uh, even offers a sacrifice of a pig in the Holy of Holies in the temple, uh, which is a total desecration of the temple, smearing pig blood all over the place. Um, and all of that is, is really kind of depicted by the horrors of this little horn uh, described by Daniel in his vision. That ends up being a ruler who comes to power about 175 BC, named Antiochus, Antiochus IV, who goes around calling himself Antiochus Epiphanes, or Epiphanes, uh, which means the illustrious one, uh, which is in keeping with his being full of himself and declaring himself to be God. And yet in the, in the prophecy, and remember this is, Dan, Daniel is looking 375 years down the road in having this prophecy. He talks about how he will have power, but not his own, which would indicate that he is being empowered by, by satanic forces. And, uh, but he, he won't do this forever. Uh, there's a voice that says, how long is this going to go on? And in the vision, an answer comes back for 2,300 mornings and evenings. 
So there's a limit on how long this is going to go on. And then it says his power uh, shall be broken, but not by the hand of man. And, and that's exactly what happens to Antiochus. He, he is off fighting in another part of the empire. When uh, Jewish freedom fighters come to liberate Jerusalem, and in his fury against the Jews, he, he begins to make his way back to Jerusalem and is stricken with a horrible, horrible disease uh, that's described in uh, the Jewish document called Second Maccabees. And he comes to a, a terrible end. Uh, and, and that essentially ends his reign of terror over the Jewish people. So, uh, you know, just a fascinating kind of view that God gives Daniel of the future, looking 400 years into the future with incredible accuracy. First come the Persians, then come the Greeks, then come the four, the four kings uh, dividing up the empire in four uh, ways, and then comes out of the uh, Seleucid part of the Greek Empire, this this little horn, Antiochus Epiphanes, who makes all kinds of trouble for the Jewish people, especially in Jerusalem, and then he comes to a sudden end. Yeah, the the name Antiochus seems to be a bit on the on the nose there. Not often do the names of your rulers lend so easily to define someone's character. Um, in, in modern culture, we have Darth Vader. That's Dark Father. That's literally the translation that we have. And and anti is right there in in, to, in the name of Antiochus. I'm setting myself against these people. Yeah, in fact, so much of what Antiochus does in Daniel chapter 8 uh, that Daniel predicts Antiochus will do, and then he actually does it 400 years later, so much of Antiochus' behavior is... Um, it is really a foreshadowing of the Antichrist still to come. Uh, that you look at the descriptions of Antichrist in the New Testament and the book of Revelation, and there are certain things that Antiochus does that are almost like it's a dress rehearsal for the kinds of things that the Antichrist himself will, will attempt against the Jewish people in the, in the last days. Um, and so some... Some say, well, is this a dual fulfillment? And I, I think, I don't like to talk in terms of dual fulfillment. I think it's, it's a foreshadowing for sure. Uh, and and uh, like I said, it's almost like a dress rehearsal for the Antichrist, but they're two different characters. Um, Daniel is, is offering a prophecy or being offered a, a vision that prophesies the coming of a, of a figure in history that has already come and gone. And Revelation is speaking of a, character in history still to come. So in verse 14, <laughs> uh, you mentioned that in the vision it stated that the sacrifices will be disrupted for 2,300 mornings and evenings. Now, if our listeners are remembering from our discussion with Pastor Ken last week, your ears should perk up just a little bit because in that discussion we talked about how in the second half of the book of Daniel, when we get an actual number, we can't always assume that it that it is going to be, uh, it, it's not setting a timeline, but is this one a little bit more literal? Well, I mean, it's debated. You know, scholars reckon it different ways. Uh, I, th I think the explanation that makes the most sense is to say that 2,300 mornings and evenings refers to 2,300 morning and evening sacrifices at the temple that won't be offered because of, of uh, Antiochus forbidding uh, sacrifice at the Jewish temple. 
That equates to 1,550 days, or a little over three years, about three years and a month or so. And if you look historically, uh, Antiochus' worst uh, atrocities against the Jewish people lasted about that long, yeah. a little over three years, from sometime in 167 B.C. until 164 uh, B.C. And so I think it's not unreasonable to say not so much that God was giving a timeline, but he was putting a limit. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he was giving them this number so that they could figure out everything in advance or when this is going to happen, the way people oftentimes take numbers in prophecy today and try to make predictions about, you know, when's it all going to come down. Uh, as I mentioned in the sermon, I think that the purpose in telling them 2,300 mornings and evenings was a pastoral purpose to say, hang in there. Things, aren't, or things are going to get really, really bad, but it's not going to go on forever. Uh, I'm going to pull this guy up short. And, and so I think that number was given to the people of Israel, uh, you know, less as a, a predictive thing and, and more as a pastoral thing of saying, you know, there's, there's a limit to your suffering. I'm not going to let this go on forever. Uh, and in fact, you know, as I've wrestled with, why does God tell Daniel the things he does? I think pretty much the whole thing is is pastoral in nature uh, because the next 400 years for the Jewish people are, are not going to be rosy. They're going to be tough times, even for those who get resettled back in Jerusalem. Uh, they're still going to be under the thumb of the Persians, and then will come the Greeks, and there'll be this political football between two of the Greek factions. You know, sometimes the Ptolemies will raid Jerusalem and take it over, and then the Seleucids will come storming back, and they'll take it back from the Ptolemies. So, you know, it's not like they're going to sit back over those 400 years and say, we're back in the land, ain't it great? No, they're, they're going to be saying, you know, things just don't seem to be getting any better. And then Antiochus is going to come on the scene, and things are going to go from bad to, to really, really, really bad. And... And I think that God is, is giving Daniel this prophecy, and he's saying, this isn't for now, Daniel. Roll up the scroll, because it's for, uh, for people who are still to come. And I think, I think that it's meant to be comfort for those people that will be living in those next 400 years, and in particular, for those who will be living in the, the worst of those times, the times of Antiochus IV, uh, to, to comfort them and say, uh, you know, I'm in this, I'm with you. This didn't take me by surprise. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring these, these, this guy to justice, and uh, I'm going to restore the sacrifices at the temple. Hang in there. Stay true. Don't despair. Uh, I'm in control. Now, you mentioned that Antiochus died a, a painful and awful death. Is it close to saying that he was eaten by worms from inside out? Well, he, there are a number of things that are mentioned. First, in Second Maccabees, it tells us that uh, he, he no sooner was breathing threats against the Jews and, and vowing to return to Jerusalem and put, put down this rebellion of the Jewish freedom fighters under Judas Maccabees. He no sooner breathed those threats than he was stricken with intense uh, abdominal pains. And... And yet that didn't stop him from breathing out even further threats and insisting that they get to Jerusalem even faster. So, so they speed up his chariot and somehow, I, I don't know if it hit a bump or whatever or happened, he falls out of the chariot. 
and and then it says on top of the intestinal pain now all of his 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 limbs are tortured with pain so he must have broken some bones and yet he insists on continuing his trip and 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 then finally yeah it says uh in Maccabees he never he never made it back to Jerusalem uh because he he was eaten by worms from the inside and the stench was so bad that it repulsed the whole army uh as he was being carried off uh in a litter and and so was the you know the end of this this tyrant god took care of him that's that's kind of the the implication of of second maccabees to say that yeah he didn't he didn't just die a normal death god tortured him and brought him to a hideous end the kind of end that somebody like antiochus deserves and that wouldn't be the the only time we've heard of this uh, acts 12 king herod was struck down by the angel of the lord and eaten by worms yeah very very similar to herod mm-hmm. but in luke's account he's that that medical background he he's just stating the facts and yep. he moves on as if he's dead he's gone let's move on with the story and yeah. and so it's there's no ceremony no pomp in the circumstance for for herod and he's eaten by worms yeah i think though that that anybody familiar with jewish history particularly those living in jesus day would have known about the antiochus and the freedom fighters and and what happened to antiochus and so when it happened to herod you know, there's probably a lot of them sort of knowingly, you know, grinning and saying, aha, you know, the Lord took out another one for us. So the truly remarkable details that, that Daniel was given lends to, to this idea of what Isaiah records in 46.10, that God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, Things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So this is, in essence, God saying, you know, Before I said, Let there be light, I know the cost. I, I know what it's going to cost me to redeem you. And I don't have to do this, but I want to do this. I can tell you anything and everything. But again, we, we talked about Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine that there are secret things that God will not reveal to us because it's not our place. And one of the things that really reminds me to trust in him, to have faith, is a, is the lyrics from a hymn that I learned growing up called, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow, and this is by Ira Stanfield. And the lyrics go, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry or the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. And when we think about all the atrocities the Jews have suffered since Abraham said, Here I am, Lord. My hope is that whatever afflictions we face as a Christians, we can look at Daniel and know that through faith in God, we can face the worst of times with courage. And that was your takeaway this week. And you had two points to help drive that idea home. God's knowledge of the times is complete, and God's judgment of evil is certain. You know, that's that's a going back again to the pastoral purpose of Daniel chapter 8. God isn't giving Daniel predictions of the next 400 years just to show off or, or 
you know, uh, for our amusement so that we can sit down with our prophetic calculators and try to figure out when all this stuff is going to happen. But, you know, like as you said, a lot of things God doesn't tell us. When he does tell us, there's going to be a purpose behind it. I think part of the purpose of Daniel for the Jews, obviously, was for the Jews who were going to be living through those times to, to know that, you know, God, this, this didn't take God by surprise. Uh, he told us this was going to happen, and he's going to bring these, these evil ones to justice so we can hang in there, we can have courage, we can face this in confidence that our God is in control. But that then gives us confidence in a similar kind of way because, you know, we look at, we look at prophecies unfulfilled still to come, like the prophecies in, in Revelation about the tribulation and the Antichrist and, and the coming of the Lord and all those things. And I think part of, the, part of the pastoral purpose in Daniel for us is to say, look, if God's done it before, he can do it again. And if, if he was able to tell Daniel in specific detail how it was all going to turn out, and it, it happened that way, then as we look ahead to prophecies still to be fulfilled, and we have the assurance that, you know what, there's going to be a horrible time coming in the history of the world, but in the end, Jesus is going to, to reign, and he's going to vanquish his foes and vindicate his people, and he's going to set all things right and make all things new, then that gives us courage to face whatever difficult times, you know, we may face in years to come. And, and so, yeah, there's a pastoral purpose in Daniel for us as we look ahead to future prophecies, you know, still to come. We can look at those prophecies with assurance that as surely as God accomplished what he told Daniel he will do, God will also accomplish what he has told us through people like the Apostle John he will do. Yeah, it really, for me, as I was studying Daniel, I, I didn't kind of anticipate that going into Daniel chapter 8. But to see this very pastoral purpose in it all of just like the first half of Daniel is all about telling us stories that give us examples of these young men who, who remain courageous in the most difficult of times. So in the last half of Daniel, we're given these prophecies, uh, these visions that are meant to help us prophetically hang strong and be courageous in the worst of times uh, still to come. Yeah, so. I, I see I see the the predictions of Daniel less in terms of you know how can we calculate when the when the Antichrist is going to come and how can we how can we know that this is going to happen well God has already told us what's going to happen we don't need to worry about that the the the, the primary reason for Daniel is to help us have confidence in the fact that whatever God has said he will do it right it, it poses us to ask questions like, do we believe that God has a plan for us? Do we believe God is sovereign over all things? Do we believe that God is in control of all things? Do we believe that God is good and has what is best for us in his plan? And do we believe that even when we fail, that God has a plan for that? Do we believe that we can do nothing in our own strength? And this week, we have to ask ourselves if we believe what God says about himself. Do we believe that he is all-knowing? Do we believe that he is just, that he is a just God, 
even when his justice does not look like what we want it to be. Yeah, exactly. Because think about um, some of the people who will read Daniel's prophecies will lose their lives to tyrants. It's not like it's going to turn out rosy for every one of them. There were like 40,000 Jews that were were killed by Antiochus. Um, you know, in some of his purges of, of Jerusalem. And maybe another 40,000 in, in the surrounding region. So, you know, they... Some of them went to their graves not having seen justice. But, you know, that not that often what's happened with Christians down through the centuries, too. They've, they've met a martyr's death, but they've gone to their, to their deaths courageously. In fact, with such courage that it was unnerving to, to uh, Roman soldiers sometimes, the way they died so bravely. Why? Because they trusted in the ultimate wisdom and justice of God. That, yeah, you may take my life, but you can't take my soul. That belongs to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so there, there is kind of in this not a promise that it's going to turn out rosy for every one of us. But there, there is an assurance that it's all going to work out in the end because God assures it. God, God is at work in it for our good and for his glory. Yeah. So i got to ask the fun question now. Daniel was given this this view 400 years into the future do you think that the the church here has another 400 years until the second coming i don't know i mean we could put it this way there've been times in my lifetime when christians have said oh it can't be much longer mm-hmm. yeah i remember being a kid sitting at a bible conference in uh, 1969 hearing of an evangelist claiming that, you know, things were going to come to a head by 1972, uh, or certainly by 1976, uh, you know, and here we are many years later, you know, and, and every time, every time times get difficult, we tend to think, well, this must be it, that we must, we got to be living in the end times. It's never been as bad as this. Well, I don't know. I think about our Parents and grandparents lived through the Great Depression and then World War II. I mean, my grandfather lived for, through World War I, the Depression, World War II, mm-hmm. and right into the Vietnam era. Uh, you know, there were a lot of tough times that, that other generations have lived through. And, and we always take it as, well, this, is, this has got to be it. This has got to be the end. I, I think that we're certainly in a time when our country, at least, things definitely seem to be going from bad to worse. I mean, morally speaking... It's it's just hard to imagine how we can get any more crazy yeah. than than we've gotten, and how how much more defiant of God we could be than we've become as as a nation. And uh, so maybe this is it. You know, maybe we are heading into those times that that Paul told Timothy. You know, in the last days things will go from bad to worse, and um, and yet. It, it could be another 400 years. It could. You know? In the last 400 years, here in the U.S., the first slaves walked off the boat in Virginia yeah. in uh, 1619. Uh, that was the same year King Ferdinand was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, and then just 500 years ago, Martin Luther started the what became the Protestant movement. And, so, and all these things that, that have happened over the last 400 years 
it, it, it seems to be crazier, even though you know there's there's been atrocities that have happened that we're trying that that we realize that we're looking at, but our relationship to God has not improved as a society. No, I mean there there are you know times of awakening in in certain corners of the world you know in the in the uh, global south um, mm-hmm. you know it's regarded that these are these are some of the best days for the church church is growing rapidly in in Africa in South America in in South Asia um, you know that the days of the of the global north have maybe passed but but the gospel is being spread incredibly in the global south. Um, so maybe it's just our part of the world, <laughs> you know, where, where things are looking darker and darker and darker. But, uh, I mean, think about World War II. What, yeah. what must our grandparents and parents thought, uh, you know, and, and certainly the, the atrocities that Hitler committed against the Jews. Um, uh, you know, those were dark, dark times, too. And I, th- I, I keep going back to what Jesus said, you know. Uh, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famines in various places and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff. And then he says, that is not yet the end. Mm-hmm. Those are just the beginnings of birth pangs. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, this whole world has been in the, in, this, in the throes of birth pangs for a long, long time. One of these days, the water is going to break <laughs> and, the, and the, the, real, the real thing is going to be upon us. But... Um, you know, it, it could go another 400 years. Uh, we have no way of knowing. But if it does go another 400 years, then I think we, we need Daniel 8 and passages like it all the more to remind us that God has the long view of these things. He's, he's not taken by surprise. And that whatever happens in the next 400 years, we can be assured that he knows the end from the beginning, that he, he is in charge of it all. He, he knows that our times completely before we know them, and he will bring evil to justice and and that's the confidence that we can we can take with us whether he comes in the next four years or you know we're here 400 years from now all right next week daniel chapter nine what can we expect from pastor ken well uh you know daniel nine is a very interesting chapter in that uh you know a big part of the chapter is a prayer uh, as as Daniel begins to realize that there's another of God's prophecies that is timing out, and that is the the promise that in 70 years of captivity, uh, people could return would begin returning to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, um, and and in the realization that that could happen relatively soon, Daniel prays an amazing prayer of intercession on behalf of his nation, um, and then at the end. Uh, God gives Daniel a little more insight into not the next 400 years, but the end of times. And so, uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very interesting. Okay. Well, that is our time for today. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for joining us. And we pray that you guys have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us.